Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where did you come from? I'm Denise Phillips, or do I say Denise McLean? Yeah. I don't know. So my maiden name is Denise McLean. My married is Denise Phillips and I'm from Balmount, Dublin 9. And it's mad because one, Denise, I didn't realise that's where you were from. Um, two, how long has it taken for the two of us to sit down together? I know, honest to God. We did record, but it, it just went out the window in COVID. Yeah. Um, but it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for coming, because you are just down the road from me. I am. So my salon is in Whitehall, Dublin 9. So where I grew up in Dublin, that's where my salon is. And that's where I was working today. So it was two minutes down the road. Fab. Come here, tell me about growing up. Um, you grew up in Bowman. So where, what was that like? And how many in the family and so on? Okay, so I'm from a family of two siblings. I have a brother, older, sister, younger. So I'm the middle child. And then obviously my parents. And I grew up... My main childhood was in Celtic Park in um, Dublin 9. It's Whitehall. And you had a very strong family. My mother's very, very strong family and very good family. High morals, working class. My parents both worked. And they came from working class families as well. And yeah, a really happy childhood. I would say that my mom was the main mentor in our lives as okay. children. My father worked very hard. So he was a coal man. So he was gone at six in the morning and he wouldn't be home till 10 in the evening. So my mom was, she was the main person in our lives. So I would say that she was kind of a single mother in one sense. Really? Well, yeah, she she had to do everything alone because my father was working so much. But my dad is an amazing father. I think he was probably, mm, I say now he's probably equal. He's an amazing father and husband, but I wouldn't say he was a great co-parent. You know, I'd say my mom had to do an awful lot with us because I think back then men just worked, didn't they, like... Mm. The women were just kind of at home, but my mum is a very intelligent woman. She's very bright, and she was the brains behind my dad's coal business. Um, when the coal started to not be, no one was having fi- open fires anymore, he was a bookmaker. Right. So he worked as a bookmaker at weekends with a man called Kevin, who was the coal man over the south side of Dublin. So... 
My dad was the north side call man and Kevin was the south side call man. Now, my dad was a jockey, so he left school at 12, oh moved to the Curra, met my mom, my mom's Calair woman, and he um, wasn't good enough to be a jockey. So when my mom got pregnant with my brother, my mom said, you need to get a job. So my grandmother had a shop and a post office in Beaumont, and at the side of it was a yard. Mm. So my dad changed it into a coal yard. And he, he fixed punchers and he sold briquettes and he'd done that for 15 years. So my brother was in the court as well. Yeah. He was in the court as well. And again, he didn't make it. But isn't it mad that like at 12 years of age, could you imagine when Jude is 12? I know. Sending him off to the court on know, his own. I know. To live that life. And my my dad, um, so my, my dad only has one brother mm. and he went to Trinity College. So he was really bright mm. and my dad was, like my dad still can barely read and write, but he was really good at maths. Mm. So he'd done the bookmaking at the weekend with Kevin and they, they bought sites, pitches on stood out and rain, hail, snow and you know, that was the game. And then lucky enough when the coal business started to, you know, wind down, he actually opened up bookmaker shops right. in Swords in River Valley and on the All Swords Road on the way into town. And it was in the middle of the boom when there was a lot of money to be made as a bookmaker. And that kind of financially secured my parents. I would never say they struggled, but they worked really hard. Mm. So, like, they lived in a rented house on Bowman Road and then bought a home when I was about six or seven. So we were rich in a way, mm. as in, like, you know... We weren't def- we definitely weren't poor. Yeah. But mm. my parents worked extremely hard for it. Do you have memories? Like, I just, I ca- mm. I, the co- whole cold thing, like, I just think it's brilliant. It was so funny. Yeah. What's your memories of it? So, him? like, my dad was like black and cold, and he drove a yellow pickup truck, and it was an open truck. So, like, you'd get up on the back of it <laughs> and you'd be going around the estate in it. But my name was MacLean. Yeah. So they all called me MacDirty. <laughs> Because my dad would drop us to school in the coal truck, like, and he was black. He, I, I don't even, I can't, I can't really remember a time, maybe on a Sunday or something, that my dad was clean. Like, he was literally black from head to toe, hands, you know, and all the lads worked in the coal yard. My, par- my grandparents' house was in the shop at right. the side of it. So my dad will always tell stories that, like, I would have been like, I want to work in the coal yard. If Steve and my, my brother was working there, if he can work there, I can work there. And my dad was like, you're a girl. and I'm, That doesn't matter. If my brother can do it, I can do it. And my dad said, like, the women will be given out to him. She shouldn't be in that coal yard. And like, I'd be black. I'd be in you know, high, deep, fixing punchers. I had the best memories there, like the best I didn't want to work at my granny would say you can come into the post office and I'd say no I want to be out in the coal yard it was just into the thick of things yeah and also my dad used to bring me on the runs because back then people wouldn't have money to pay for their coal bill mm. and if they seen my dad coming they'd shut the doors <laughs> so he'd send me in and I'd knock on the door and say is your mom there and she'd say yeah and I'd say the call money <laughs> Like, so yeah, it was a great, up. it was a great life, like it really was. Oh my God, it's mm. just fabulous to hear. I'd have to, I think I said this before, I'd have to sit down with your dad one day because I'm sure he's just got so many stories. Like Such a great character, like I'm, I could not be more grateful for the home I grew up in. Mm. It was the most non-judgmental 
open like if I done something I could openly say I done it mm. with no judgment. Right. They were very understanding parents and very yeah, I couldn't wish for for a better set of parents. Tell me about your nanny. Your granny. So I've, I have two grandmothers, mm. Janie Mac. So my grandmother, my mum's mum, uh, Betty, was a nun before she got married. So she got rheumatic fever. <laughs> so many stories. I know. She got rheumatic fever in the yeah. convent and they said we can't look after her anymore and they sent her home. Her mother died. She devoted her life to her mother at 16, went to the convent, became a nun. She was obviously very holy. She married, had eight children. And my mom is the youngest of eight. She was a saint. She was the most beautiful grandmother. She had such great faith. That's where probably my faith comes from. Mm. She helped rear all of her grandchildren, 22 of them. She was one of them women that, like, you had so much admiration for. She was the proper Irish granny. She was a lovely woman. She's She only died seven years ago. And then my granny from my dad was the polar opposite. She lived life to the fullest, <laughs> went to the dogs every weekend with her friends, drank whiskey. She was the postmistress in Ballmount. She was four foot two, like so glamorous. She went to the hairdressers every week. She was... The young granny, but actually died when I was 15. So she actually died quite young. So she was the young granny, and my granny Betty was the old granny, but granny Betty lived much longer. Um, They were actually great friends. Were they? Yeah, they were great friends. My granny Betty used to get the bus down from Kildare and get off at the bus stop outside my granny's house and come down and mind us. Like, when I think back to my childhood, the people that I had in it, like were incredible, like incredible women, really. The women in my life were probably more significant and actually better people than the men when I was okay. growing up. <laughs> do you think that's where you got your work at? Like, who do you think in all of that did you get your work ethic from? Well, my surroundings were complete work ethic. Probably my mom for its determination. She pushed through my mother owns a property management company 20 odd years but she was the woman that ran my dad's coal yards and bookmakers and back then there wasn't women in business and they weren't respected and the things that I saw and the the stance that I seen her go through were extraordinary she would not take no for an answer she people would say I wanted I don't want to deal with you I want to deal with the man and she'd say if you don't want to deal with me you're dealing with nobody now my mother is a lady like I wish I was a little more like her but she's a complete lady but by god I definitely get my determination and I would say my brains from my mom <laughs> and then my dad he sat at the table with us, done times tables, maths. Like, we worked in the bookmakers growing up, so everything was done manually. Like, your lucky 15 wasn't on a computer. It was done in your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone won double, like me and my brother grew up in the bookmakers then. So all through school, I worked there as well. So it was kind of like the way I am with my kids. We went 
with my parents while they worked. Mm-hmm. And then the rewards, we spent our summers in Wexford in the mobile. And back then, like, that was, like, you yeah. were, that was amazing. Like, my mom's whole family. So my granny had a mobile home site down in Wexford and all of my mom's siblings had a site. So I spent my summers and any time out of side school down there with all of my cousins, like outside playing rounders. Don't you just like hope and pray that your own kids are going to, and I see that through your page that, that Beth does have that. I seen you down in, in Wexford, like, but like when you just hope and pray that we can offer our kids that innocence. Definitely. Like, when I think now to the times now, it's so different. Like we were literally reared with our cousins and our aunties and uncles all together. You were in homes with, you know, all of the people together and, you know, your aunties and uncles gave out to you and that was okay. You know, they they, they could (laughs) give out to you and there wasn't like, it wasn't even a second toss. Mm. Um, Yeah, I hope, look, we're living in a new world now and, we're trying to make the best of what we can. And I know people are saying that it's the new norm, but it's very hard because we've watched our grandparents and our parents wear us each generation the same. So it is hard to get around trying to rear your child in a different way than you've been reared. Because mm. we want our kids to have, if we've had a happy life, we want our kids to replicate that, I think. 100% it's so hard though sometimes I you know I have Amelia and she's 11 and she's torture you know but I'm sure I was probably torture when I was 11 Um, it's just it's just so hard like you know what I, I mean? was torture I gave my mother and father a terrible time I was wild in what way tell me uh, like I I took drugs I tried drugs yeah yeah really yeah yeah not hard hard drugs yeah but yeah like, I won't say specific, but yeah. yeah. And I remember, like, my mother saying to me, did you take drugs? And I said, yeah, I did. Like, we call my brother Golden Balls, but only because I was so wild. No, I was wild. Like, and I was very headstrong and determined. And I wanted to try things out and, and for myself. Yeah. I remember my mother, and she'll tell you the story, like I was 16 and my mom said, if you're not going to follow these rules, you need to move out. And I got my bags and packed them and moved out. And I rented a room in a house. Like I was so headstrong. When I think now, I'm like, how did my mother not end up in a mental home with me? Like she, like... I was drinking down laneways and oh my God. yeah, I was, I was, I, I, I would imagine that I was a hard child to mother. Right. You know, <laughs> but now we're best friends. Yeah. It's, I've never taught, never, ever, ever think of you like that ever. Like it's oh, mad. Yeah. No, never. And did you stay long in, like, did you live there because you moved then, didn't, didn't you? So 17, when I was, I was actually 16 doing my living cert. Um, so I was in around that time. That all that kind of kicked off. I stayed with my granddad. My parents moved to Kildare. And my mother set up her business down there. And my sis, my brother had bought his own house at this stage. Mm-hmm. So he was like 19. So he was living out. I was between my granddads. And then when I done my leave and start, I did move to Newbridge. Right. But I rented a room in a house down there. So I was... Yeah, I was beside my mum and dad. My mum said, like, coming in, taking toilet paper and beans. Because and, I was on Apprentice, I was hairdressing. Yeah, like, I was on yeah. Apprentice wage. Like, it was, 
like I can't even remember how much it was. Would it have been like two hundred pound, and that was like a good, a good wage? Like. What was the transition like from Dublin to Kildare for you? Like your mate leaving your mates and all that. So that I kind of still was up and back right. a lot for mm. like the first two years. So, and a lot of my friends from Dublin would come up and down and we'd go out in Newbridge and it was, it was a whole different world for me. I wasn't popular in school. I was, I had red hair and I was kind of overweight and I was very sporty and I was very tomboyish. I was wild. I hung out with a lot of lads, like a lot of boyfriends and I was not into girly stuff like I wasn't sexually active till later and I was yeah I was competitive and sporty and like working in my dad's businesses Mm -hmm. or working on a Saturday in the hairdressers Mm -hmm. so I was I was always like doing something Mm -hmm. do you know so I still obviously have my same best friends that I had in school from Beaumont but because I was working in Newbridge I got friends pretty quick right with other hairdressing girls so like I was there at 17 so I'm still like 20 years later I still have a great group of friends that I'd like you know because I was only a second or third year trainee like mm. so I was out every weekend down there and yeah I was wild oh my god where did you meet Mark so a uh, funny story like so Mark was my first boyfriend when I hit Newbridge and I went out with him for about six months and I was besotted with him like he oh, I was head over heels about him and he, we broke up and I started going out with a, a guy called Damien mm. and Mark went off on his way with, and he started going out with a girl and I went out with Damien for like four or five years and Damien died Christmas Eve oh really yeah so while you were going out with him so we yeah like we traveled to Australia together we like he was my first love oh god I'll get upset so we were always breaking up and getting back together but we were broken up about four weeks and we lived together like and he took a brain hemorrhage on Christmas Eve I just finished my last client in the salon and his sister rang me whoo take your time take your time so I was 25 and that was the complete turning point in my whole life. I never took a drug after that day. Um, yeah, so Damon died and it was horrific. Let me get tissue, hang on. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, so... Yeah, he took a brain hemorrhage. He was also very young. I'm trying to think, was he 25 and was I 23? Or was I 25 and he 27? I can't remember now. But, yeah, that was that. And I'd say my life completely changed because I said I never. Now, he didn't die directly from drugs, but, Mm. you know, we were were partying, like, Mm. most weekends, drinking and whatever, like. But I never wanted my family to ever go through what his family went through or what I went through ever again because I'm still really close to his family. Um, yeah, so 
that was what really changed me. And then it's so funny because Mark ended up on drugs in them few years. And not many people know that. But my husband is a recovering drug addict. Is he? Yeah. And Mark, we, me and Mark met up about nine months after Damon died again. And Mark was after um, being in Culmora. Okay. So the next year of my life was spent learning to help a recovering drug addict. Um, so me and his mom spent a lot of time. Obviously, me and Mark stayed friends for that duration. Mm-hmm. But obviously his life went into one direction. Harder drugs than I ever would ever, like, dwell on or ever go near. And um, he obviously got help and he's one of the lucky ones that never relapsed. Thank God, touch wood. Um, I think that's like... Not lucky, I don't think. I think that he's worked, obviously, he's oh, worked yeah. and you've worked and his yeah. family with support have worked very hard to keep him sober. Do you know what? And this is, I've never talked about this across any of my platforms because it's not my story to tell. But my story to tell is coming from a wife that lives with a recovering drug addict and something that I'm so bloody proud of. But what I will tell you was a shift in my life because when you're 23 or 24 and your group of friends are people who party and you decide that you don't want to be in that life, you haven't got many friends. And that is very hard. So we both found ourselves in a very similar position. And I was lucky that I wasn't like a drug addict I don't know what a definition of a drug addict is, mm. but I wasn't, and mm. I could I could function without partying. Mm. But it meant restarting my life, um, and really looking at stuff. And lucky enough, me and Mark found each other at that time because his group of friends, if he had have went back down that road, he, and we've seen how easy it could have been to slip back. So it's people and things and places. And if you surround yourself with the same people, things and places, eventually you will slip. But that's really hard because if you've nobody else, you might think that you can, or you are strong enough. Like I could surround myself in them settings. No problem. But Mark couldn't have. So it was great that we had each other because you don't, if you're taking drugs, you don't want to hang out with someone who's not. Mm -hmm. You don't. Like Mm -hmm. if you're eating a chocolate biscuit, you want someone to have that chocolate biscuit Mm -hmm. with you so the guilt isn't there, surrounded with it. Mm -hmm. So for the next year, I actually attended Colmara um, meetings to and how to support somebody that's, yeah, me and his mother. And it was so great. It actually healed me because you've got to remember, I was also grieving for Damien. So the next year was actually... What did you see in Mark, though, for you to do? You must have saw something in him. Mark will tell this story to our friends that I actually met him at the shop one day and Damien was dead a few months and we were standing there talking. 
Mark was homeless at the time. Yeah. And I said, what are you doing? And he was like, what? I was like, you are, do you realise that you are so much better than this? Like, seriously, you have a beautiful daughter, your family that I love you. His mother will tell you it was the hardest thing she ever had to do as a mother to tell her son he cannot come home. He had to hit rock bottom in order to come up. And he said he'll remember me just saying, like looking at him in the eyes, like, you can do better than this. And he's like signed himself in three weeks after that. Um, like I said, I always stayed in contact with Mark because he's a special person. And like people think that people that end up on drugs or take drugs are bad people. But Mark just got into like a bad role. And I was like, that could have been Damien or that could have been anybody. And I just knew that he had so much to give life. Like I just knew he could recover Mm -hmm. and I encouraged him and yeah like we can't even remember the person that Mark was during that time like I often sometimes have to remind him you know if some somebody would like pass I'm like oh hold on a minute now Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago Mm -hmm. that you know you were there or I was Mm -hmm. you know or somebody because it's it's a life that was is so far removed from us now, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I again, I don't speak about Mark's story, but his story is incredible. Like, incredible. The trauma he went through to being an addict, to recovering, to where he is now, is like, it just... He's one of the, the most incredible people ever. So are you. <laughs> Thanks. But we we don't give ourselves credit enough credit. Like I had Carl's girlfriend, Chloe, um, and we've so many mothers and so many girlfriends out there. And Chloe said, when, and Carl, she said, if I can give any advice, she commented on the page and she said, to any girlfriend, any partner, any wife, don't give up on them. No. Don't give up on them. No. I, I don't think, I think if you can see a fight in somebody and you know that person is a good person. I mean, everybody's a good person. Mm. It's your chimp or your ego sometimes that mightn't be a nice person. Mm. But you know the difference between someone who isn't out to harm somebody. There's a complete difference. Yeah. And... of the time, there's a good person there. You know, somebody's child, someone's brother, someone's husband, someone's father. There's somebody there, like... And I think because my parents are so non-judgmental, they pass that trait to each and one of me and my siblings. And I think because of that, I never judge anyone. Mm -hmm. Because everybody has a journey. And without that journey, you're not the person, you can't be the person that you are today without a journey. Because you have to you look at your page and look at your journey. And I wondered, I did, 
be honest with you, Denise, I wondered, how is she like that? How? She's, she, she had to have gone through some something. She had to walk a road to get where she is today. And not just the IVF road that you walked. Yeah. I was like, there has to be something that she's walked to have your outlook. Yeah. I, I believe everybody has a story, but it's just realizing how significant your journey is. I believe, I always believed that I was destined for great things. I was so determined for success. And my idea of success is not money. It's not been the best. It's been the best that you can give in them circumstances. So whether that's at home or friendships or business or whatever it is. I mean, sometimes society teaches us to be a certain way and that if we're not a certain way that we haven't succeeded. But that's not the case. Like, your parents teach you I love, I'm just going to give you an example. So my mm. parents reared us as Catholics mm. <coughs> and that society should show you to go to school, go to college or do a trade, get a job, get married, have kids. Mm. But what you don't realise is that you can break them rules with no judgment. That's what society have kind of told us that we should do. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to. True. And it's okay. So my brother's an atheist now. Okay. And I remember saying to my mom, do you know Stephen doesn't, like he was an altar boy. Mm -hmm. Do you know now Stephen doesn't believe in God? And she was like, yeah, I believe in God and, and I have great faith. And then my sister has completely different like faith. Mm. But we're all from the same household, but what we were allowed to do was yeah. break the rules. This is what we're going to teach you as parents, but at the same sentence, it's okay for you to take what you want out of that and do what you want out of that. And then also because I couldn't conceive naturally, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that my mother again allowed me to to bend rules so although I felt like a failure when I couldn't conceive naturally it wasn't the main burden on me do you think it would have been a burden I think from society's point of view women feel very ashamed that they can't do something that their mother and grandmother could do naturally whereas I believe that I was so lucky to be put in the position that I was put in to fight, to have my child, to allow me, to allow me to use science to give me my daughter. And that's, you know, because people ask me how I kept on going. And... I kept going because I felt privileged. I kept on saying, I'm, I'm actually privileged to be in this position. I can't believe that there's another option for me to have my dream. 
And then when we went to look at adoption, I was like, I can't believe that I'm in this position where I could potentially be able to adopt another child. So my dream was to become a mother, but I didn't necessarily care what route I had to go. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I was 20,000 euros of a loan out when I had mm. bets. <laughs> Take it back for me to when you realised, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. that you couldn't... I'm just going to ask Paul to put on the heat. Paul, you put on the heat, please, sorry. Um, to the very beginning when you realised, one, you can you couldn't conceive. And I know you talk about that you don't want to trigger anyone else or anyone else's stories like that. But just take it back from you to what was it like? So you and Mark moved on, then obviously he it was in recovery. And then how long then, what happened after that? So I actually knew before I was with Mark. But you know, Did you? Yeah. Okay. So when I was travelling in Australia, I was on the pill, I kept on bleeding through the pill. I actually had a miscarriage at 18 for Damien. Okay. Yeah, so I was three months pregnant. I'm trying to think. I was about turning 19. Um, I was three months pregnant. I was on the pill when I got pregnant. Got pregnant. I was three months pregnant. I lost the baby. I had to have two DNCs after that because there was membranes left in me and I was constantly bleeding. When I think now to that whole miscarriage experience, it was so traumatic. I was in Wexford General Hospital, um, 18 years of age or 19 years of age, given a leaflet, you know, and sent home. Um, Wow, Denise. Yeah. Dean, like that path, like that path. So like the miscarriage, losing Damien. Yeah. When when Damon died, I used to think, oh, if I had a baby now, that'd be at least um, something to live on in his memory and, you know, still to have that connection with him, even though he wasn't here and all the do's and don'ts. But the following years after the miscarriage, my period never, I never got back um, it was irregular. I was really late getting my periods. I was 16. Really? Yeah. So there was, uh, I always had issues. Um, so uh, I think it was about six months after Damien died. I was actually back and forth for tests because of the irregular periods. And they were saying it was stress and stuff. And I was getting loads of tests done. And the gynecologist in Portleach said, could possibly have difficulties conceiving again that was kind of it you know you didn't really ask questions it was the fertility side of things in Ireland is so far back I mean it's still not recognized as a disease we're one of the only countries in the EU us us and Lithuanian Lithuania who don't recognize infertility as a disease so we're we're quite far behind and we we've got very little help in that in departments. A lot more now mm-hmm. than like 20 years ago or, you know, 18 years ago. But it's still not funded here. It's just unexplained infertility for a lot of people. I mean, anyone with polycystic ovaries is kind of passed from pillar to post. Yeah. Unless you pay privately here. Unfortunately, and I love Ireland it's 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 not great so women are left 
to just deal with their unexplained infertility with no financial help, which is is hard again, because not only do they have no routes to take, there's no hospitals, they're all private. The minute a woman, they don't want to go to a private hospital. They're like, mm. you know, they don't want to go to an IVF clinic. They feel shameful. You'll see it. If you've ever walked into an IVF clinic, the women are sitting now at the moment on their own. <laughs> but back then with their partner, with their heads down, there's no eye contact. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a very, I always, I used to laugh and say to Marcus Mary, like a brothel. Like you're like walking in, mm. you know, like yeah. <laughs> hoping that no one will see you walk in. You're not telling anyone that you're going. So sad. It's it's a bit better now, but the last time that I was there was when I went for the scam and I found out I was naturally pregnant on Jude, and there was n- it was it was COVID, so there was no they didn't even have their partners to hold their hands in the waiting room. So I could only imagine what women are going through now on on their on their roads because I get DMs all of the time a lot of the clinics aren't allowing them even in for transfers so and these are private clinics so they don't have to abide well in my opinion they don't have to abide but I think it it kind of suits maybe you know COVID suits some industries Mm. to kind of make up rules and stuff and go along I mean you're you're not allowed to have your husband in with you giving birth I mean you know Rebecca I know I'm going off topic now but when I I, when I got pregnant on Jude, obviously, it was all COVID. And I said, oh, I don't care if I have Mark in with mm-hmm. me or not. I'd be I'd well able to have this baby on my own. Sure, be grand. And when I got COVID, I wanted Mark. I was crying, saying, I, please, I want my husband here with me because I don't think I'll be able to get through this. So I can only imagine how lonely for, you know, first-time mums that haven't went through this or IVF women or, you know, what women are going through now. Like, I don't even want... It's a whole podcast, I think, that mm. needs for that because it's immoral mm. what women are going through on their own in hospitals at the moment, having, you know, given mm. birth to, to their children without their partner by them sides. Yeah, I know it can happen to any of us. I mean, we can be rushed in, but no one been told... Mm prior that you're not going to have your partner and another part of it that I think like women love their babies the minute they're born but a lot of men have to grow to love mm. and that connection it's terrible. Need, yeah it is it, it's, it's it's terrible terrible what's going on anyway no but the poor men they're worried about their wife partner and then they they want to have that skin on skin that we get because for us it's um, straight away like the that connection's unbelievable, but for the men, as you said, might have to take that little bit. Yeah, and someone told me the reason my babies look like the man is because a man doesn't automatically see that connect or feel that connection. Yeah, it was actually, I think it was actually Dr. Luda. She'd be like, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> but, you know, said that, you know. That, that's But it, it could be true because... It's really that like ninety yeah. percent of babies that are born are the image yeah, of the, 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 the dads yeah. when they're born. Yeah, I think they say a woman, not all of the time, but mm. like a lot of the time, just instantly loves that baby, like that mm. love that you feel. Mm. And the, but a man, it, it's growth. 
you know, it takes them a little, not all the time. Mm. I'm sure there's plenty of men who see their baby and just feel that instant connection. But I think a lot of men that I've spoken to have said, you know, it took them a little while to feel the love mm. that they felt. But yeah. Can I ask you, was it, and again, maybe it's not like a question to ask, but was it easier for you knowing that you couldn't conceive naturally to go, go down the IVF route? No, because I don't know why thinking that because I was under 30 and I was healthy and all. They said, try IUI first. And when I think of it now, so IUI, for those who don't know, is basically the same as IVF. You're taking the same drugs. The only difference is that the sperm can be injected in when you're ovulating. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully the egg meets the sperm and you get an embryo. IVF is when the egg is taken out of the womb and mixed with the sperm outside of the womb and then put back in. But your drug intake to get the eggs, basically with IVF, your whole system is stopped. So you go into a menopausal state and they reboot it with the help of drugs so they can control exactly what is happening. Amazing. Mm. So basically, I had no periods so I had they I could go back to back with my cycles because I had no lining in my womb. So when they put a camera or checked my inside, my lining was not 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 point one. So I never had that white little line. So that I never had a time of my cycle. So my eggs never grew. So if you on the first of December, if you put the camera inside me, my eggs were the same as the twentieth of December. Okay. My lining and my eggs never changed, so my eggs never grew without drugs. So they grew my eggs with the drugs, and then we tried to obviously have sex. They give you a trigger injection, so it it makes the basically it triggers the eggs to to release, and then you have intercourse at that exact time. That was actually more hard on our relationship. As Mark says, thank God I could perform. Because, no, literally, I if he believe. didn't perform, yeah. that's your whole cycle gone. Yeah. That's, it's like, that's when I, but, and the stress, you're like, go now. Yeah. I mean, you have like an hour window or like a two hour window. I've always wondered about that. Like, is it? And I think I asked someone before this, <laughs> is it, is it so clinical? Like, drop your pants. We have to do this right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Legs up in the air. Like I'm not laughing. Do you no, know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, no, yeah. like don't mm. have a drink. Like you're going to be, and you've got to remember that you've got to get to that stage. So your cycle can be cancelled at any time. So you could have put like four work, four weeks of complete work into a cycle to get told that your eggs aren't big enough, or you could release your eggs could burst before you got to have sex. It is. The most horrendous road that a couple or a woman can go through. And I've been through a lot in my life because each, so each hurdle you get to. So you have to get healthy eggs. The womb has to be healthy. So if you've polycystic ovaries, your cysts or anything, they have to be all removed before anything. So... (laughs) you've held the eggs then the eggs go in and mix with the sperm for example my track record 40 eggs amazing i haven't got a clue what's going on right you 40 eggs denise oh my god amazing 16 of them were good oh my god brilliant now let's fertilize it with mark's sperm 
six survived. Oh my God, amazing. Now we need to get six of these embryos to day five because between day one and day three, they multiply. So a day three embryo to a day five embryo is miles apart. Mm. The cells in a day three embryo is only small. And then to day five is basically a really good embryo. It's, it's chance of survival is pretty strong. Now let's get it to day five. One. Denise has one left. Okay, this is a bet cycle. So 40 eggs, six, 40 eggs, 16 were okay. Six mixed with Mark's sperm. One survived. Now, Denise you're over-stimulated because the drug intake was too big. We cannot transfer this embryo. It now needs to go into the freezer. Now it goes to the freezer, and now we're going to get your womb ready for transfer. Okay, load more drugs. Now your womb is ready, Denise. Let's take Beth out of the freezer. She has to defrost looking like a perfect fresh embryo. Or she's not being transferred. Let's transfer. Perfect transfer. Went straight to the lining. Is there. Looks nice and secure. Two week wait. Two week wait. To see if your embryo survives. Every day. Googling. Every day. Not wanting to move. Afraid to nearly go to the toilet. You're still taking drugs. You're two week away. You do your test. Get your positive. That was Beth's cycle. I done that on television. Grade A. So your embryos are graded. The next cycle that I done when Beth was, I think she was 18 months. Very similar. 40 eggs. 16 survived. 16 were good. Six Mixed with Mark's sperm, two survived, two grade A's. It was my first time that I was allowed a fresh transfer. It was a grade A transfer. Luda was like, oh my God, can't believe that transfer went so well and it was televised. I'm going to look like the, you know, from a doctor's point of view, mm. the transfer was perfect. I was 10 days on my two week wait and I said to Mark, we were at Blessington Lakes, I said, our baby is gone. He was like, what? It's like, you are pregnant. When you, when that embryo is transferred into you, you are pregnant. Like, okay. you've sore boobs. Like, you've, you've, you know, you've, you've pregnancy symptoms, obviously. I wouldn't think that was obvious. Yeah. I wouldn't. Uh, see, because you know it. But, but the amount of drugs you're on. So you're, you're, like, I always say to all my women that text me, like, believe you're pregnant. Live as a pregnant woman. Wake up every morning, look in that mirror. I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. Feel that baby. Nurture that embryo. Like today, you know, today we're going to have a great day. I'm going to mind you. I'm going to, you know, like, i done that for 11 cycles. Like, yeah. And Mark says, like I say that on bet cycle was my last one. I was at, like, my relationship was on its legs. Cycles, yeah, did. yeah. I didn't know you did eleven. Yeah, Beth was cycle nine. I done a cycle live on television that failed. I done my pregnancy test on 
took it. Yeah, go back to that, what you said about you knew day 10 you were... I was saying to Mark, you lost a baby. Yeah, so we went to Blessington Lakes and I'm sitting in the back of the car and I was like, I'm not pregnant. And he was like, If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What? I was like, I just, I was so in tune. I thought, I always say that I was so in tune with my body, although I could beg to differ with Jude, but um, I just knew I wasn't pregnant. I could, I could feel the loss. And two or three days later, I, I'd done the pregnancy test live on television because Mark said that evening, do you want to do a test? And I said, no, I want to do that because if I am I want this journey to be real. Them camera crew were with me all of the time. And if if I want, if I'm not pregnant, I want the pain to be what these women will go through like me. And if I'm pregnant, I want the joy to be the joy that these women, I don't, I want to do this to educate what women are going through daily. 
And then they didn't televise the next round that I'd done after that because it was cancelled the day before the embryo came out of the freezer because I was violently sick. I was actually at an awards with Jane from Ingla and I was in the bathroom and I was just finally getting sick and I was like to Mark, my transfer is tomorrow. I can't, I can't transfer tomorrow, my last embryo. I can't because I'm, how is this baby going to survive when all I've done all week long is get sick, I'm weak, I'm exhausted, I'm, I, I can't do this. And he said, okay, like, let's cancel. Because I was like, I was like, this was definitely my last chance to have baby number two because I could, I could not put my family, Beth, and my husband through another cycle when I had a baby, if that makes sense. I could put myself through IVF, no problem. And I could probably put Mark through it again. But I couldn't put my daughter through it again because every single person is going through like every journey that you are on, whether it is having a baby, recovering from drugs, I'm just talking from my own mm. life experiences, you're not just going through that. Every single one of your family is going through that. So if you're going through cancer, so are your family. Like it's not just you on that journey, it's everybody around you. So my mom is an IVF survivor. My dad is, my sister is, my brother is, Mark's family are, Mark is, but now Beth was. And I said, no, I can't do it to Beth again. Can I ask you, when you about to do that other cycle and you decide not to do it, how old is Beth? 18 months. And you have a new baby and everything like that. Do you get the... Okay, we have her, so she's here, and that's grand, but let's just concentrate here. We're just going to concentrate to get this other baby, get this other baby, get this other baby. Um, does that happen? Like, does that? And then do people say to you, what are you being selfish for? You have a baby. Yeah, people say that. And, like, we do catch ourselves saying that about everything in life. Oh, don't be giving out. Sure, you're one down the road's worse off than you. Mm. Or, you know, aren't you lucky? My mom used to always say to me, you'll have your number. Mom, I can't have my number. My number was two. It's actually probably three. <laughs> you can't have your number. I'm infertile. No, you have your number. Like, I think <sighs> women feel bad. And like, I get that. I get that. Because since I've had Jude, I remember finding out I was pregnant on Jude. And I thought, and I said to Mark, I wish I could give Jude to somebody else right now. So I've, I've already got Beth. I'm so grateful for her. I'm a mother. There's so many women out there that need, that want to be a mother. Can I give this baby to them? Because I want them to feel what I feel. Because I do feel complete with Beth. And I felt because I had given, I had tried to, to, to give Beth a sibling. And um, when I knew that I tried my very best, 
I was probably okay with not having another child, even though I did always say to Mark, I do believe that we're going to have another baby. I didn't know if it was me getting pregnant or adopting or fostering because I do believe there's a special role for Mark that he's going to do in his life. So I do believe that I always believed that another child would come into our family somehow. So when I got pregnant with Jude, I honestly felt that I wanted to give this experience to somebody that was also deserving of it. Did you feel guilt to your community or did you feel like you were betraying your community? I felt like two sides of it. I felt, oh my God, this is going to give me and these women. I'm not just telling them that I'd failed IVF. They've seen me. They've seen me do IVF. I'm not just coming to them later on saying, i done IVF and I failed it. And now I've became pregnant naturally. They watched me. 11 cycles, Denise. Well, they watched me after Beth. They watched me injecting myself daily. They watched me taking drugs. They watched me nearly kill Mark. I don't know how he's still with me. They watched my journey. They came along with me. So I think 99.9% of people knew that my journey was real. Because they seen me. Like seeing someone and hearing of someone journey is completely different like seeing someone's pain like if if you're living someone's pain so if you're living someone's journey which people did with me on television I think they're a lot more understanding of it so I didn't get very much I didn't feel guilt and I didn't get very I got very little bad because I don't feel guilty because I feel that my story can give people so much more hope than guilt. I feel that if there's a woman sitting at home, that she could look at Beth and say, that was after fails, like that was after rounds of IVF. And then they can look at Jude and say, that was natural. So I definitely think that my situation or story can give a lot more people hope then it can envy. Mm. I hope that. I hope that people can look at Beth and say, she was made in a lab with science. Mm. And I hope then they can look at Jude and say, he, uh, that's why I called him Jude, St. Jude, the saint of hopeless cases. Because I was a hopeless case to ever get pregnant naturally. And I believe that everybody even if you feel that you're a hopeless case that there's always that little light like shining there's always a hope or chance of every single person getting a miracle your miracle could be that your brother gets through recovery or that your mom gets through her cancer or we have to have hope and faith in ourselves 
you said there about Mark, and I'm, I I really have to meet him. I really, I, I'm just really interested in him now. Um, that when you said, I'm, I'm not doing this tomorrow, I'm not, I'm not putting myself through, I'm not putting bedroom, I'm putting you through it. What kind of support was he to you throughout all of that? Oh my God. Like, honestly, we started IVF the day we came back off honeymoon. And any couple out there that survive that journey, I was speaking to a client in the salon today that's going through IVF and she said, we're not telling anybody. And she was like, it was just me and my husband. And I said to her, that is so much pressure on your husband. And she literally was like, oh my God. I said, that is so much pressure. And we were very similar. We didn't tell anybody at the start. Um, they're getting the blunt end of everything. Mm. Of the fact that you feel so sad that you're having to purchase and pay to have your baby. We were work, both working two jobs. I was working in Peter Marks. I was teaching in Clane College at night, two nights a week. Mark was working on the buildings and he was delivering pizzas at night. We paid for every single bit of our fertility treatment on our own. We literally passed each other in the stairway. If Mark wanted to go out with his friends or spend money, there was a problem. Like, um, I didn't want to be anywhere. I didn't want to go anywhere. All I wanted to do was focus on having a baby. So every waking minute was spoken. There was no fun. It wasn't like he was after marrying somebody that overnight became a mad joke. Like a psycho. A calendar. Not to see when we were going to see a chair in our next concert or when we were going out with our friends. Because we had, like we still have a great group of friends. I didn't want any of them knowing what we were going through. So I, he wasn't allowed to speak about it to anybody. I'm sure he probably did, but not that I know about. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a hard life. Hard. It is. Mm. Like, are you having that takeaway? Like, if Mark walked across the road sideways, I probably would have blamed that on the fact that his sperm wasn't 100%. Do you get mm. me? Like, mm. there was no takeaways in our house. There was no fun. Sex wasn't even fun. Like, we went from having really nice sex. Mm. Obviously, we weren't starting our fertility treatment until after we came back from our honeymoon. But literally, came back from our honeymoon to not having sex, to having timed intercourse. Like, when I think back to it, Mark, uh, I have a stepdaughter. Like, he did, like, he had a child. So, he didn't really need to stick around if it was to have a child. Mm. I mean, I don't know why he stuck around because I would have been gone. Like, the things I said to him and the things I'd done throughout them times, honestly, he should have well been gone. But you stuck with him. <laughs> we stuck each other. You stuck with him when it was his hardest time That's in exactly his life. That's exactly what he says, yeah. Yeah. You know, you were there for him. Yeah. So he's going to be there for you. Absolutely. So it just goes to show how much you actually, like, you know, you love each other. Like, you know what I mean? It's I, I learned something about relationships and it's like, you can, 
if you argue about the issue, you'll survive. So I think a lot of the time with our relationships, we blame. Like, you done this, you done that, you said this, you're that. But that's actually not what you're arguing about. You're arguing about the fact that you took the milk out of the fridge or you left the container in the fridge. So learning to let go of your ego and not always have to be right as well is really important. So trying to see things from other people's point of view when you're arguing like, well, what did I do? Or what what could I have done different there? Not what could they have done? So do you think then that the lessons you learned in Kilmara, is that what's called? In Kilmara. Kilmara. Do you think the lessons you learned then you put to use? The lessons I learned there was how to not enable a family member. So a lot of the times you've got to remember with addiction comes characteristics. So a lot of the time the addiction might be gone from that specific addiction, but it might move on to something else. Mm. Um, and learning to be able to support a family member but not enable is really important because addicts can manipulate situations very easily so and when you love somebody when you love somebody it's very hard not to enable Mm. Like it's very mm. hard. Like if you see somebody in, in pain and hurt and they're crying or in any sort of situation, even as a mother, it's very hard to separate your love and life lessons. It's it's, it's really difficult. You know that as a mother. Mm-hmm. It's easier sometimes for an easy life as well mm-hmm. to just turn a blind eye. So I learned a lot about myself and learning learning about yourself is more important than learning about other people's wrongdoings or, you know, learning about how you can react to situations or how you can be of help in situations, I think is a lot more valuable than being right. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about Jude in, and we'll talk about Beth, because mm-hmm. we have to talk about Beth, because she's a character. Um, but tell me about Mark's joy with Jude, obviously men and their sons. So. I know, it's crazy. I never, I never obviously realised it until I had a son. So, yeah, when, when we had Jude, he was like, thank you. I suppose he has two girls. So he, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was, yeah, like, thank you. I don't know what that is about men because I do think that's changing a little bit now. But yeah, men, I suppose maybe, is it the family name? Is it they think that they're going to be a replica of them? I'm not sure. That they can go out and have a game of golf with them or have a pint with them. But like things are changing. Paul has two girls and that's all he's ever going to get. But like, you know, it's just that's you're stuck with it. Like I think your family will be your family. Yeah. I don't think that I would, I used to say, I wouldn't care if I gave birth to a sheep. It's mine. (laughs) I wouldn't care if I gave birth to a dog or a monkey. Mm. That's ours. So, 
But other people could have different opinion on that. Like some people could just want a girl or just want a boy. And that's okay too. But I just wasn't one of them people. So. You weren't expecting his joy then when. No, I wasn't expecting his joy. But like he's brought so much joy to our house because it was such a miracle. And I don't even know how to explain him. It's like, I feel like I was just given a baby because there was no real lead up to it. There was no even, because obviously we tried for Beth and obviously we tried after Beth and there was no trying for it. So there was no run up to it or there was no, um, (laughs) there was no, there was 12 weeks of just. It was fun. Yeah. It was, I was, Mark actually was delighted because for Beth's whole pregnancy again I couldn't cross I wouldn't walk across the road Mm -hmm. like without fear of you know something happening so it was actually a blessing because Mark said like them 27 weeks I was I had a good few pints and like do you know or like I Mm -hmm. I, we had a great laugh we were here there and Mm -hmm. everywhere whereas for them 27 weeks niece like I was eating fish raw fish gym running the streets I was with a personal trainer. I was like, I promise I'm following the plan. He was like, Denise, you're not following the plan. You would not be putting on weight. I'm like, I I swear to you, I'm following the plan. So Mark actually was delighted that that we didn't know that Mm. I was pregnant. Because it must have been a completely different pregnancy. Like, not to say Jude was a joyous pregnancy, but as you said, there was always concern. Yeah, because somebody said to me, did you f- like? Did you feel like you couldn't celebrate it because of your IVF community? No, I celebrated. I, d- I think I was in such a bubble. And all my really close friends like were so happy for me mm-hmm. that I didn't even, it didn't actually even come into my head to think of it as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Because the one message I got was like, you have built an IVF community and now it's so triggering but I was so there was no I couldn't even think down that line I was so in my own bubble whirlwind of joy that I probably wasn't taking into account other people's feelings this is the thing for me that I'm kind of like going but why should you but I understand where you are because with every community right now and we've seen it with your lovely pal Erin over the past couple of days as well resentment in communities is a terrible thing I don't know where it comes from because I still can't get my head now obviously I can with the IVF community so for example there's a difference between jealousy and envy there one is healthy and one is a little bit unhealthy Mm. so I do think that being envious is a great way to drive yourself Mm -hmm. so if you see someone with a lovely home I think being envy in a sense I'd love that I'm gonna get that is healthy Mm -hmm. being jealous and vindictive in someone's well-being isn't good Mm -hmm. so if you are envious of someone's handbag and think I see that she worked for that. Yeah. I love that handbag. I'm also going to work really hard to get that handbag. I think that's really good. 
I think if you look at me and say she worked so hard because let me tell you everything that I have including my my children my health everything I've worked I got nothing handed to me not because my parents wouldn't help me I've I every, all of my business is me not one euro was gotten from my parents or from Mark's same art with the IVF journey, everything we got, we worked from the bottom. I started with nothing, so I'll go out with nothing. It doesn't bother me. I have the ability to earn money and I'm good at it. So if it's all gone tomorrow, I still own the ability to work hard. So I'll start again. Very true. That's where I come from. So when I see people's resentment, like proper resentment towards people, I still don't understand their way of thinking because my brain doesn't think like that. So I don't give it any time. And I don't because when somebody tells me that I'm amazing, I don't let it feed into my ego because then if that person turns around and tells me I'm disgusting, it will also have a knock on me. I think what you said is you don't you've said it right you said I don't let it feed into my ego yes that's what you say yes so like I don't allow people when they say to me oh you're amazing for me to think that I'm like I'm the same as everybody else and exactly I'm I'm no different and like you know when people get starstruck when they see somebody they're like oh like just say like I love Julia Roberts but I don't think that I'd be starstruck when I seen her Mm. Because she's just the same as my next door neighbor. She's a human being. Like, she's a, I don't know her enough to be like shaken with excitement to see her. I'd love to see her because I love her in movies. But I just think that every single person, wherever you are, are the same. So when. I think that I'm as amazing as you. And I think I'm as amazing as everybody that works at me. I think everybody is amazing. I think everyone has the biggest thing that you can show up in this world and do is to be yourself. And if you go out every day and be yourself, I think you've given the world the best. True. You know, so I won't let it Mm. feed into my ego. Yeah. Because then if someone decides that they don't like me, then I'll spend my day being upset about it. Yeah. And that, I have to say, all of the time that I'm on social media, I've probably gotten 10 bad messages. I'm so lucky with the community. I don't know how I would be if I did ever get trolled because I have really good friends like really good friends, like a trolled daily, like daily trolled. Mm -hmm. Disgusting stuff that we saw this week, absolutely disgusting. I don't, I can't say how I deal with it because I'm not in their boat, but I do try and support my friends and tell them like, the only reason that, (laughs) somebody said to me one day, why does Beth talk in American accent? And I said, do you know what? The next time you see Beth, ask her yourself. Like, 
what? Like, I'm not going to tell my six-year-old what way not to speak or what way to speak. If your six-year-old has an American accent. I know, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just think that people are going to have their opinions, no matter, and we, like, the only difference is, like, everybody, like, there's nobody that's listening here now that can say hands in their like heart that we haven't said and may or made an opinion or a judgment on someone whether it's our sister or our friend or our neighbor like oh look at them in that big car and you do Mm. you say it but you check yourself so Mm. i ran myself in and be like just say i was like flicking on social media and there's someone on it and i love i normally watch them and they're just like they're getting all the free stuff, say, for example. And I'm like, oh, here, here she is again, all the free stuff. And then I'm like, why is that bothering you, Denise? Mm. Why is that bothering you mm. that she's getting free stuff? Mm. You need to look at yourself, maybe. You need to muse her because you're not enjoying her content. Mm. And then you need to say, what did that trigger in you? Or, for example, if somebody's showing their daughter off, like me, nonstop, and I go, Will she ever stop showing her daughter off? Why Why did that annoy you? Like, do, you? do you think that she got up this morning and intentionally went out to trigger you or to hurt you? I don't think so. So I think we need to kind of, isn't it like reflection? Mm. You know, if I'm saying, look at her in that big car. Hmm. Would you like a big car, Denise? Mm. Do you feel that you deserve a big car? Do you feel that, you know, what did that trigger in you or why did that hit you off? Because I always say hurt people hurt. Mm. So normally if someone is is hurting, it's is someone if someone is hurting you, it's because they're hurt. Mm. Um, like, you know, when you're having a fight with your husband, if he said something to you that's mm. hurt you you'll probably say something back to hurt him because you're hurt. Of course, yeah. So hurt people hurt. Mm. So. Do mm. you think though as well, like, and you said that about the envy and the jealousy, and this is what I think that there at the moment there is a bit of toxic positivity out there. You're smiling at me now. Yeah. Um, and I think it is down to envy and jealousy. I think that's it is. So if someone, as you just said there, Oh, look at that handbag. I really want that handbag. I'm going to, do you know what? She walks out. She's probably saving a few bob for that handbag. I, do you know what, Rebecca? Put your few bob away every month. And then to Christmas, you're going to buy yourself that handbag. Or is your ta? And that's positivity. That's where you're thinking, I'm going to get this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the work and I'm going to get it. Or is it, well, I'm going to get my fella to buy that handbag. I'm going to get to my mat to buy that. Oh, how does she get that handbag? He must be this. He must be that. He must have bought it for her. So that's where I'm saying where some people, they get that real jealousy around positivity and they shouldn't yeah i also think on another flip side of that is why do people feel the need there's two sides of this why do people feel the need to constantly show the world what they have in materials Mm -hmm. that's one side of it did you buy the handbag because you genuinely wanted the handbag or did you buy the handbag to give off the idea that you're doing really well in business and you're rich and your fella's brilliant to you Mm -hmm. so what what's the reason why you want the handbag make sure it's the right reason Mm -hmm. make sure 
And if it is the fact that you want people to see you as successful, then that's okay. Yeah. But just know the reason. Mm. Know the reason why what the want is. I also think that, you know, social media, you know, people say they don't want perfection. But if you look at the influencers that have the most following, they're perfect. So although people say they don't want perfection, they'll follow the accounts that are like perfectly grid posted white with Gucci handbag unboxing. And maybe it's so far reach out of their reach that they love watching it. But is it actually doing good to their soul? Mm. I, for example, like to follow women in business. Like I love, um, I love watching successful women in business that juggle, that lives are very relevant to mine. Because like if I follow somebody that's really successful, that doesn't have children, I do follow people like that. But what I'm saying is you can't compare yourself to somebody yeah. who's not in the same boat as you. So I love following Marissa Carter. Mm-hmm. She's married with small kids and, she, you know, she's a, a woman in business. And I can see myself with similarities because she's juggling stuff. She's at home. She's out. She's doing, not just Marissa, but just what I'm saying in general, mm. like Ona from Mars Pharmacy. Like, mm. But if I follow somebody, like an influencer that's single, um you know, and influences her main job and I can't I can't compare myself to her life because her life isn't like mine. Mm. And I always say that to, I'm just gonna break it down, say for my stylists. So I always say I I we don't do commission in my salons because I, I believe it does pitch people against each other. And that's just from the world that I grew up in. I worked in Peter Marks and it was always like constant competition that's my client that's my client that's my client and I always said I never I want a client to be able to choose whoever they want Mm. when they walk into the salon that that you know Mary's not grabbing that client because she needs to feed her kids Mm. and she like that's the reality Mm. of it it's not in a bad way like when we were working in Peter Marks I was so competitive I needed extra money so if that head of mesh was you know, 200 euros, that was a lot, you know, and you're dependent on it and you're, you're making it out in your head what your wages are going to be. It's, it's, it's a hard way to, from, I didn't want to run my business like that. So, some of my girls start at quarter past nine, some finish at five, some do Saturdays, some don't, some work nine to nines, some don't. And I always say, don't compare yourself to any other stylist in here unless you have a sick mom and you're looking after your two brothers because then you're like Mary and unless you are a single mother like Michelle and you do hers unless you get me unless your life are you taking in four thousand euros a week that's why she doesn't work Saturdays are you when you don't compare yourself to someone else's life you are not them and they are not you your life isn't theirs and you're, do you get me? And I think that when you create a team like that, the girls are very respectful. I'm fair to everybody individually, to everyone's individual life. Some years, some of my girls will want to climb Mount Everest and they'll do course after course. Some years, some of my girls come to me like 
some of my girls are with me since the day of my salon. Denise, this year, I just want to, like, I'll say, for example, one of my stylists said, this year, her and her husband bought a bow, and they're like, I don't want to do courses this year. I want to come into work. I want to go home from work. I want to spend the time with my family. I'm like, cool. Next year, she could be the total opposite. Mm -hmm. So it's very important when you're working on a team that you respect. And that goes for your friends, your household, and your work. Don't compare yourself to the others because you're not them and they're not you. Do you think you're a better boss because you're a mother? Oh. I think I'm a better boss because I learned to separate my business from me. Okay. I'm not Pello. Denise is not Pello. Denise is not Voodoo. How long did it take you to get there? Oh, I'd say probably like my third year in business, I stopped taking things personally. Still, sometimes you, you have, like, it's, it's very hard sometimes not to because... I love my team and a lot of them have grown with me and without them, my business wouldn't be where it is today or my brand. So it's really important that you remember. I love to see people grow, but remember who helped you grow. Don't leave them behind because they made a mistake tomorrow. Don't leave them behind because they fecked up a few times because... They're the reason that you're there now. So try and make sure that you allow people to be human on your team. Don't give up on somebody because they're going through shit in their life. Um, they might need your support and work. So a lot of my girls um, have been through stuff and I've been there to help them. And then when they've had times where they've shined... Um, it will always outdo the times that they didn't. Um, yeah, so I separated myself, I'd say, from my business. Yeah, probably three years ago, maybe. So I'm six years with Pello. And I learned to say, like, you know, when somebody's giving out about Pello, they're not giving out about you, Denise. They're just saying they don't like the way you um, organized, you know, something in work or maybe, you know, like, I don't know our gowns or towels or another and a lot of the time if the girls are pissy and work they've stuff going on at home and work might be their safe place to get away from troubles that are at home so a lot of the times i find through the years that if someone's coming in they're agitated when you sit down and talk to them it's actually probably that they're just a little bit stressed you know denise i need to work three days like my girls and my team know this, like, they'll know who I'm talking about and who I'm not. Like, some of my girls have went from five days to three days to back to four days to two days, depending on their life and what's happening on it. And it's very important for me that I'm in it for the long haul with them. So, like, if they need to, like, if they need a little bit of a shoulder to, to, to lean on for a while, they can have it. And then they can always come back to it. Um, like my manager in Dublin decided for the summer, like I need to spend, like her last child, I need to spend a little bit of time, um, more time with him. 
I'm like grand once once you're still on my team that's fine and then come September a few months later she's like actually no I'm going back you know like so (laughs) it's just I think that that goes from your friendships to your work colleagues to your um home life like and obviously I'm very lucky with Brendan my partner in voodoo and then our team in voodoo as well they're all with us since the start and we've just grown with them as well so I think a really, really big part of me is knowing that every I'm the weakest part of my team. So everybody is of the same level or stronger than me. So I need them as much as they need me to succeed. Tell me about your failures and how you handled them. Failures? Mm. Uh, oh God, if it's so... And like, you've got to remember that, like... For every success you see, there's 20 failures behind it. Like, So obviously Beth is my success from all the uh, failed IVFs. Um, a plan, a reset, a restart and a plan to get there. So I believe in the end goal, but sometimes you, you need to be able to be flexible and, and be able to reassess if something's not working. Um, with our tools... You know, a lot of that is on me because I kind of bring the tool side of it and, and MPD along with Claude and uh, Robert. But a fail is never really a fail. And I don't think, I think the word failure is gone from society now. I think people realize, I don't, what is failure like? Is, is it a learning? Is it a learning curve? Is it just rerouting you to another direction? Is what is failure? Like who tells you that it's a fail? What is a fail? Is a fail not being as good as your sister at art? Like what are you failing at? I don't think anyone's failing. I don't think there's anybody out there failing. Failing is probably when you compare it to someone else's success, but that's not you. So what are you failing at? Well, I'm actually failing at nothing, really, Mm. because I'm trying my bloody best. That's not failing. Yeah, I failed a round of IVF, so I didn't get pregnant, but I gave it my best shot. So is that failing? I don't think it is. What is success? Tell me about your successes. My biggest success is to still have the people in my life that I have. My biggest success is my 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 solid relationships, my children my home, not my bricks and mortar, my actual inside of my home, like my unit, my stepdaughter, my, my, which isn't, it's so funny because she's not on social media and I sent her a picture of all of us together and I said, can I post this? And she said, no, I don't like the way I look. <laughs> she's 17, like, but my success is, my biggest success is being me, and bringing me, putting my best foot forward and like I said before yeah I 
have great financial success now, but it's not my priority. It's not my, it's not my everything. I love what you said about the fact of it, if you lose it all tomorrow, you haven't lost your ability. I love that. No, and I think that's what, that's what defers people from jumping and believing in themselves <coughs> is why are you, why are you afraid of failing? Like how is, how is failing chasing a dream and yeah, you mightn't get financial reward out of it, but that's not failure. That's success. You have went out and believed in yourself and it mightn't have been the right timing. It mightn't have been the right marketing. You mightn't have been lucky. It's a whole combination of things that you need to succeed all at once, all at the same time. So for IVF, you need to have all of them things lined mm-hmm. up to succeed. So it's no different to succeeding in business. You need to have them all lined up at the same time to succeed. It doesn't mean your idea was a failure. It means that the time and might not have been right for you or for that product or for that service. It doesn't mean that that module is a failure. It just means the timing might have been. Like when people say it was a failed relationship. That relationship could have survived when you were 10 years older or five years younger. I don't, I don't believe in the word fails or successes because... You have to believe in successes. Well, what is a success, though? What's success? It's your, as you said, it's your life. It's your your children, you know. It's your business. It's the inspiration that you give people. I'd rather my success be words or impact that I left on people's lives. Mm. That's yeah. for me. If somebody said, when someone says to me, I kept, I, I watched Beth and I kept going because I too wanted a Beth, I think that's me, life done. Thank you. Like, I used to say to Mark when I had Beth, I could actually die a happy person right now because I became a mother. So I felt that feeling. And if something happened to me tomorrow and I'd hope that if somebody stood up and said it was because of Denise's words that I kept going, or if it was because that would mean the world to me. Like for somebody to take to say to my children, "Your mother said this to me, and it really resonated." And because of that, I didn't give up. That to me would be life made. I would love that. Definitely. On that note, we leave it there. <laughs> Denise, thank you. Like, this is what I'm saying. What I said during this is that I was like, there's something else for her. There's something else. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something there. She's done something. Something's happened in her life. And I'm so privileged that you shared it with me today. I really am and shared it with everyone who's going to listen to this. Um, Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.